Welcome, dear listener, to the final episode of the year 2020, the year of our Lord. Episode 118. Um, we last recorded 117. Tommy and I were together still in Atlanta. He is visiting and spending time with family in Tampa. So I have my wife, Tara, holding down the fort for Spitter this week. Hello. Thanks for being here, Tara. I appreciate you always being willing to jump on at my every whim. But this, the Craft Heads podcast, this is the podcast about nothing, but sometimes something, where Tommy and I, or whatever guest is on the show, in this case Tara, have a alcoholic beverage of some type, beer, cocktail, wine, and discuss a particular topic or not, and just pollute the airwaves for 30 minutes. And for this last episode of 2020, which I will produce right afterward and get it cranked out so it still counts for this year, and then all of you dear listeners have it for your travels after the new year, we initially were going to do a full, quote, movie minute episode where we talked, Tara and I talked about like the past three weeks worth of movies that we binge watched, and then we started watching a new TV show called Sweet Home, which we'll get into. And we've also had episodes where we did entire episodes dedicated to TV shows and likewise with movies. Uh, For example, uh, we did the Venom cast. We did the Mm -hmm. Unbreakable trilogy. You were on both of those, Tara. Uh, We've done a Matt or I'm sorry, Leftovers episode, Battlestar Galactica. And I'll I'll put all of those in the episode notes. And one of these days, we're still going to do a Mad Men and Sopranos one. I keep talking about that. But anyhow... This is sort of a combo episode. We're going to be talking about the new TV series on Netflix called Sweet Home. And then after that, we will dive into over a dozen movies that we watched in the past several weeks, as I mentioned. So we're going to start with Sweet Home, and I'll put in the footnotes of the episode any areas where there are spoilers, and then we will move into the movies after that. Alex and I had discussed... Um, doing a rapid fire one minute a person per movie. So there's no rambling. There's yes. no tangents. I don't know. We'll probably you wind get 60 up rambling. Seconds to say what you need. We'll, we'll do our best, and <laughs> Tara may or may not officially time that. But anyhow, before we dive into the topic, we have something that we, we haven't done like really formally in a while, which is a shout out to a small business due to the beverage for this episode. So the, the episode uh, featured beverage right now is H2O because we're recording this at 12 noon on New Year's Eve. Some high-quality H2O. But technically, the featured beverage is actually five different beers from Lost in the Wilds Brewing, which is in Shippenville, PA. A little bit of backstory on Lost in the Wilds. Um, With my family being uh, from near the Pittsburgh area and Tara's in Bradford, we have many times driven between the two, especially during the holidays or anytime we visit our families, really. And we've passed Lost in the Wilds several times because I think they're new this year. Their uh, their initial opening day, I spoke with the owner, I think was supposed to be on the day in April when everything was locked down due to COVID. So first of all, thank God they're still doing well and operating and everything, able to do business with to-go and whatnot. But shout out to Jared and Mallory, the owner operators of Lost in the Wilds Brewing. We always talked about us stopping by, picking up some beers, whatever. We'll do it next time. We'll do it next time. And we drove past it. And then we had to get gas right before we got on the interstate. And I was like, Tara, let's just turn around and go back and get the beers now. We had one night left with my parents and we were going to visit a cousin. So we figured let's just get a bunch of their beers, support the business, and we'll have fun tonight. So we drank four of them, four crowlers that night. And we drank the next one for breakfast that morning, literally like 10 a.m. So Jared and Mallory, I hope you guys uh, enjoyed that. They're married, by the way. They're a married couple that that owns Lost in the Wild. So um, we'll get into those drinks and what we thought about them. And also just for our listeners' edification, uh, you can get growlers and crowlers there. And if you heard me say that word earlier and you're not sure what it is, a growler, of course, is like usually a big glass half gallon jug, which is about, it's 64 ounces. So it's six full pints worth of beer. But once you, once you open it and you know, the carbonation escapes, it's, it's or nitrogenation in some cases, 
you know, you're, you should probably drink it in one night with some friends or family or whatever. Whereas crowlers are, they're usually 32 ounces and they're in, you know, like sealed aluminum cans, like, like a standard beer or whatever. Uh, these ones were 25.4 ounces, but the point is you, it's definitely like a large serving of beer, maybe, you know, maybe two and, but it's because it's sealed, it's a little bit more manageable. So they offer both there. It's really awesome. You can go check those out, but they also gave us one of their, um, brew menus. So, uh, Tara, I'll ask you to use your sexy radio voice. You can read, uh, the five different beers that they had, the ABVs and the descriptions for each. So starting with the wit, it is a 5.4% ABV description, light and refreshing Belgian style wheat ale, sweet orange and coriander creates a unique citrus flavor and aroma. And it was very unique. Cool. Uh, brown ale, 6.2% English style brown ale, smooth malty backbone with low hop bitterness, a sweet brown sugar and raisin finish. New England IPA, 4.9%. Super juicy, smooth, soft body with tropical fruit aroma and flavor. Citra, e- Super juicy and smooth, soft body. I thought you were describing yourself there for a moment. Uh-huh. What is that? C- Citra? You, uh, Equinot? Hmm. Equinot. E-Q- oh, God. E-K-U-A-N-O-T. We'll have to do some research yeah, after the definitely. episode. So Citra, Equinot, and Amarillo. And I, I know Citra and Amarillo. I just have never heard of that. Um, I'll continue on. It's, it's, a, uh, it's a type of hop, like a registered name. Oh, like, like a, I'm going to call it a brand name. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, moving on to the next one. The Rut, in quotations, American Lager, 4.5%. Traditional American Lager, light color and body, finishes crisp and clean. Perfect for celebrating the hunt or stories of the one that got away. And finally, the Porter, 5.5%. Medium bodied dark ale, notes of chocolate and roasted malt. Mildly bitter finish. Outstanding. So our um, rankings, I think Tara and I had extremely similar uh, rankings here. I know for for sure the last three we were aligned on. And also, Jared and Mallory, I don't want to just say, oh, they were all good, because that's incredibly boring. Uh, first of all, I, there was not a single one of them that I did not enjoy. But Tommy has gotten on me before, because we'll have a drink or whatever, and I'm just like, oh, I love it. And it, he's yelled at me for not being critical enough. So without further ado, this was the, the best ranking that I could come up with uh, for my own personal taste was my favorite was the wit, then the rut lager, then the brown ale, then the New England IPA. And my least favorite, and even though I still enjoyed it, was the porter. So I know those last three T slots, three, four, and five, brown ale, IPA, porter, the, that was also your ranking. Was your favorite the the rut lager or the wit? I would say both of those were tied for number one for me. Yeah? They, they were both, I don't want to say, not the same, but I would say interchangeable. Like if I had both of those or someone offered me one, I, I wouldn't care. Not in terms of flavor, but in terms of enjoyment. In terms of yeah. enjoyment, yeah. Totally. And then I would say the brown ale, IPA, and then the porter. So what, my same. what's interesting is the reason I gave the wit my my number one spot is because of the first sip. And it might have been because didn't we start with the rut lager? Yes. So that was the first one that we had that night. And I feel bad. Tommy really missed out because he told me recently, maybe even on the last episode, that he's in that he's on a lager kick. And this was like the perfect lager. It was just totally drinkable, exactly what you expected. And it's like, I don't see how you could possibly make a lager any better. So I guess that's probably the highest praise I can give it. It's also lagers aren't overly complex, typically with tasting notes and everything like that. So they really nailed it with that one. But after we finished that, the first sip I took of the wit was like a a better blue moon. So, you know, I, I, I hate to make a comparison to such a, a huge beer, but it's a fair comparison. They're both wit beers, and Blue Moon is fine. It, it tastes good, you know? It's mass-produced, but it's still good. This was just better, and it, like, overwhelmed my senses. And I remember thinking, like, oh, my God, this is unbelievable. And then the ensuing sips, once I got used to it, it was just 
excellent. You know what I mean? But like that first sip, that's what put it in the number one slot for me because it just like overwhelmed me in a wonderful way on the nose and the tasting and everything else. Already, I already talked about the lager. And then the brown ale, I'm actually, I'm usually not a brown ale guy. I can't really think of many off the top of my head that I really love and I'm all about. Maybe I need to explore them more. I'm also a little bit biased because I think of stuff like Newcastle brown ale and then I think of caramel coloring and that all just like totally turns me off. Although allegedly, I think they got rid of their caramel coloring a few years ago. Who knows if that's actually true. But I gave it bonus points in the number three slot because of the, it was actually the highest gravity of all of them, 6.2%, which I don't know if that's unusual for brown ales or not, but it was great. It was very smooth, easy to drink, and at six plus percent, that's that's a solid accomplishment. The IPA was not bad at all. I'm I don't want to say I'm IPA'd out. It's, it just seems like there's so many IPAs out nowadays, and I drink so many that I lose track. It was I will say though, in it was more on the citrusy side than the hoppy side. Would you agree with that? Definitely. I remember that, it being very citrusy. To your point about being IPA'd out, if, because we live in Atlanta, when you go to the grocery store and you're looking at the beer section, I don't know if you noticed, but like a lot of the local Georgia stuff is IPA heavy. It's like, mostly like, IPAs. I agree. Yeah. It, it, and that's fine. I like IPAs. Don't get me wrong. But like when you and I go to the store, that's the majority of our selection. Yeah. Whereas and, I feel like maybe in a different part of the world or the States, you know, there's a lot more loggers, a lot more crafty loggers or crafty brown ales. So, I mean, I would agree with you. Like, yeah, sometimes I drink an IPA and it's, it like punches me like right up front and I'm like, Oh, okay, this is, this is a lot. But that one was so drinkable. It was was so good. Jared for you. And also for our listeners, like Tara's gold standard. And I tend to agree with her on IPAs is Southern tears, double IPA. Like it's, it's like the gold standard for a hoppy IPA. The thing is, it doesn't mean it's not a good IPA. It's just because the New England is more citrusy. If that's what you like, you're going to love it. And, and and I would call that pretty low ABV too, 4.9% for an IPA. Oh, so yeah. like, well, in, in it's the, really drinkable. The double IPA is like oh, a lot, at yeah, least double. I want to say like eight, eight or nine. Yeah, somewhere around there, yeah. probably eight something. But um, anyways, still great. Just it was toward the bottom of my list. And then the Porter, once again, tasted very good. But what's interesting is the fact that it said mildly bitter finish, they definitely nailed it and they give you a heads up with that. It's not what I was expecting from a Porter. So I'm basically, all five of these beers, I'm judging within their own category. I'm not necessarily saying, oh, I I like wit beers more than IPAs or lagers better than Porters or whatever. It's I'm trying to judge it as... In this particular case, I'm judging their porter within the porter wheelhouse, in essence. And it was interesting. That bitter taste was it was almost a little IPA-ish or like piney, at least to my taste buds. Yeah, I was actually gonna say, um, I feel like the porter might have been higher on my list had I not drank it for breakfast the following morning. That's yeah. Because maybe. that was a that was a lot to have. And I was just like, I oh, it. okay. <laughs> <laughs> like, I would have enjoyed it more, um, like, sitting around, like, a campfire at night. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, and, and I feel like porters are often, they are sometimes used as, like, a breakfast beer because they're a little bit heavier or have, like, a, that roasted, maltier taste. And that's mm-hmm. why it was interesting to find those tasting notes in a porter. But all of them were good. I would I would also buy any of them again, including the Porter. And the one thing that we didn't get to try was shit. I don't remember what they call it, but they mixed two of them. Don't quote me. I think the brown ale and the lager maybe, and they call it like muddy tracks or something like that. Ooh, that's cool. But whenever he said that we could get that, I was like, oh, well, I can just make it at home, right? And he's like, yeah, obviously. And we forgot to do that. So <sighs> damn it. But The uh, next time. Yeah, ex- the next time. That's right. I would like to say... Jared and Mallory, that we will be back on one of those trips to and from uh, between our families. It was really awesome to meet you guys. We're so glad to hear and see that you're staying afloat. If you're local or anywhere near that area, listeners, because I know we have some, uh, we definitely have a PA listener base as well as, you know, Atlanta and Florida and then people all over. But uh, go check them out. Say hi. Tell them 
Tom Crafthead's podcast sent you because uh, this that's one of the big things about the podcast is just bringing new ideas, beverages, whatever to light for other people to explore on their own. So it was great meeting you guys, and mm-hmm. thanks for providing us with those awesome brews. We really enjoyed all of them. Yeah, and for any local people, if you know I-80, which you should, exit 60. Your specific uh, location instructions are very helpful. I'm always such a... Tara kills me on sense of direction. I'll be the first to admit it. Oh, and then the last funny note about Jared, I used his POS to check out, you know, one of those touchscreen things, and I put in my cell phone number for the receipt. He actually texted me afterward and, and, you know, sent me his information and was like, hey, enjoy and have a safe trip and all that. And I realized, um, actually, it might have been before he texted me, I called the store or the brewery back because I was like, dude, I, you know, we exchanged conversation i told him what craft heads was all about and whatnot that i'd be shouting him out but i never even asked him for his name nor did i give my own so i don't i don't know why i did that but i asked him for his name and then at the end of the phone call i did the dreaded thing where he was like have a safe trip and i was like you too Oof! oh my god do i hate when i do that so i i hope he uh enjoyed hearing about that again moving on to sweet home so tara Sweet, we actually saw this. We might have saw it like the day that it was released. It was released on December 18th. And I remember my initial reaction to give any first time listeners some context about myself. I am a TV hipster. I basically have a rule that if I have more than one person tell me to watch a TV show, I almost out of principle don't because it usually happens all at once and it's a bunch of people and it's really annoying. And I hate trendy things. So disclaimer, I'm not telling you you should watch this TV show. I don't give advice. We're just going to talk about it because we really liked it. And I haven't heard about it from anybody yet. And I remember when we saw the trailer, I was like, oh my God, this looks amazing. And then I saw it was a TV show. I was like, never mind, I'm not watching it. But it's we kind of stewed on it and we got excited and we finally committed, hey, nobody's told us about it yet. We don't know if people like it, so we're going to get a jump on it. So this has been out uh, on Netflix for fewer than two weeks. It's a South Korean show, which, by the way, I I often say Korean on the podcast. Unless I specifically say North Korea, I'm always talking about South Korea. But this is a South Korean uh, TV show. There's 10 episodes. They are like mid to high 40 minutes in length. The last episode might have been a little bit longer. I can't remember. But... Uh, just gen- we're going to be generally speaking about a lot of aspects of it. Nothing will be too crazy of a spoiler until the end of this segment, and I will timestamp it so that you can you can listen to this episode and not worry about having anything spoiled if you're going to watch it. But then there's going to be like a two or three minute window where you will want to avoid. So I will uh, mark that for sure. But it is sort of my gut told me when I saw the trailer and started the show that it was maybe a mix of like Resident Evil and Doom. And then I shifted my opinion over to a mix of Castlevania and Dead Rising. And I'll talk about why in a minute here. But Tara, just what are your, before we get into the details, what are your general feelings about the show now that we've finished it? Your feelings going into it and just how you, how much you enjoyed it all the way through? Because I know we both loved it. Well, I remember initially seeing it and thinking, okay, there's going to be gore and probably it's going to be scary. I mean, like, there's monsters. And, like, this is not a spoiler. I mean, you see it in the trailer that there are these alleged monsters and they're obviously going to kill you or try to harm you in some way, shape, or form. And there's not a lot known about them or, you know, how people become monsters, whatever. So um, I was expecting a lot of scariness. And I was like, okay, I'm going to have to cover my eyes. But it looks interesting. It looks really cool. Um, And then once we started the show... I was like hooked. I was addicted mm-hmm. to it. Like, it, it, I don't know what about it, but it was very much like keeps you on the edge of your seat and you're always looking for or looking forward to like the next piece of information that is like revealed. And like some of the people like, oh my gosh, they make you really hate them, make you really annoyed with them, like make you really like them. Like sometimes it's like polarizing, but um, those are my initial thoughts. Great character development, for yeah, sure. Yeah, great character development. And along the lines of, char- quote, character development, what's one of the coolest things about it is not every episode, but at least half of them, 
introduces a new monster. But from my video gamey mind, I'll call it a new boss, basically. It's not a movie where there are hordes and hordes of monsters attacking at any given time or, you know, zombies in the case of the countless zombie fair out there. There's usually one new monster that's introduced and wreaking havoc one way or another. And the very first episode starts off with, to come back to Resident Evil, a very Resident Evil 5 style monster in the sense that it's humanoid, freakishly tall and terrifying. Its face and jaw kind of opens up and something comes out of it. And anybody who's played those games, uh, specifically five with Ouroboros or whatever, you're you're really going to appreciate uh, appreciate the similarity without it being an, an outright copy of it. But um, there, there definitely were, as I mentioned, Resident Evil and Doom earlier. The Doom similarities are because are specifically because they're monsters, not necessarily demons. But you know, the point is they are not zombies. And uh, I won't talk about how it they come into being or how it's you know transferred or anything because I would consider that to be somewhat of a spoiler. But the the other Resident Evil aspect of it is that along those lines with the the boss aspect, they're almost like pursuers because they are confined in this large, uh, I don't know if it's an apartment building or whatever, it's huge, but sort of like Nemesis is pursuing you in Resident Evil 3 nonstop uh, or uh, Mr. X in 2, these monsters are like constantly showing up and, you know, pursuing the the inhabitants of this building. And there's, there might be, it, there's in between 10 and 20 regular characters, right? That are yeah, sort of holed up in here. So. And the Dead Rising aspect, and anybody who's played those games, will, it's honestly my favorite aspect of it. A lot of like custom weapon crafting, you know, like a kitchen knife on the end of a pole and you attach a battery to it and there's wiring all over it. And whenever you stab something, it electrocutes it. Like it's, it is dead rising to a T there. And you have these safe rooms and these people gathering and panicking together. I mean, it's seriously like playing those games. And then the Castlevania aspect, that's definitely where the, the monster aspect and also music of the show comes in. There's a lot of really cool music like with pipe organs and stuff, including the super cool theme song and animation whenever, you know, you're starting a new episode. So that's sort of where I feel like a lot of these inspirations came from. And, you know, there are, there are definitely other things I saw, like there's one episode where uh, a character is sort of in like a green chrysalis of sorts. And that to me is like straight out of Resident Evil 6. I remember pointing that out to you when we talked about it. There's some other maybe subtle influences. We recently, this is not going to be in our movie chat later, but I recently exposed you to the movie 1408, John Cusack yep. and Samuel L. Jackson. And there's a 1408 safe house in, in the show. Um, and just one of the greatest things about the show is precisely how fresh it is in almost all regards, because I, I haven't seen anything quite like this. You know, it's it's not a typical zombie trope. I I mentioned that the way that it spreads and whatnot is extremely unusual and not been done before. At least I haven't seen anything like that. There are things that happen that I always sort of... Th this is a really specific thing. But in a lot of horror movies, slasher films, whatever it is, you never see anybody get blood squirted in their eyes. Oh, my God. And now, what I mean by that is, you know, usually it splatters. It might get on somebody's face. But they always yeah. close their eyes just in time. There were two times in this show. Probably more that yeah, we didn't notice, two. but two specific ones. Where specifically blood, you saw blood get into the eyes of characters. And oh their the God. whites of their eyes turned red. I know how insanely specific that is, but oh, my God, did I love that. Like, the attention to detail and seeing somebody finally put on screen something that you always wonder. It, I don't know. Just little things like that made me fall in love with it. Um, also, Korean culture quirks. Yep. For example, everybody always has one earbud in. Not always, but like at least half the show. And I'm like, are they listening to music? Like I could, I could kind of see that being a cultural thing. I remember 
this actually drove me nuts about about college, walking around on campus and like everybody had headphones in, just completely oblivious yeah, to their surroundings. Yeah, I think that was a common college. thing, and it might still be. I don't know, but uh, it, they always had one in, and I'm like, you guys, there's monsters everywhere. Like that's dangerous. But I don't know. That, that was a funny thing. Uh, I know how to do uh, testing on microphones now in Korean. Uh, uh, that's all they say into the mic over and over again. I enjoyed that. And also learned about their uh, tradition. They have the first birthday ceremony. So they talk about it a couple times in the show where uh, on uh, a child's first birthday, they put items in front of the child. And whatever they grab first is supposed to be, you know, indicative of something that's going to happen in their life. For example, a piece of thread represents a long life. Money represents the fact that they're going to be rich or a pencil represents that they're going to be very smart. So I really enjoyed that. Uh, so a lot of the, the cultural things that were sort of plugged into the show. Can you think of anything else that you liked along those lines or should we move on to characters, T? I would say like the only thing to add to that would be, you know, when you talk about character development and all these people locked in this gigantic apartment complex building, um, it's very interesting to see the dynamic of the, the groups that form and then, you know, what they end up doing, you know, the decisions they make and the personalities that are included. And yeah, it, it's just, it's really interesting to watch. Mm-hmm. I've never been so engrossed in watching humans make decisions. Yeah, that's actually, that's, that's a really good call. And I, I felt very absorbed in it. And I, I don't know, I, I think there is just something about character development in specifically, like in a lot of, Korean media that I see that I absolutely love. You know, we talked about Train to Busan and a, a couple of other movies, and it's just it's a it's a specific genre that I really really love. But uh, some our favorite characters, I think Tara and I had the exact same pecking order. Uh, if if you watch it, God, I'm probably butchering this name, but his I, I do not know how to pronounce these properly, but his name is like Jay Hyun or something like that. And I have in my notes here, he's the Bible boy. He's the guy in the first episode carrying a Bible. He initially has glasses, doesn't wear them later on. He also winds up being extremely uh, skilled swordsman with this badass katana. So he was our favorite. Uh, the second favorite character was the grand- grandpa, as the, the children called him. I think his name was like Mr. Ann or something like that. Um, is that the guy that could walk or in the wheelchair? Because there's Mr. Han and Mr. On. Yes, this was the guy that could walk. Okay, okay. The wheelchair yeah, he's guy. Mr. On. Yeah, also one of our favorites. I didn't have him written down, but the wheelchair guy is the dead rising guy who can build anything. Yeah, he he's puts like a together, master craftsman. Yeah, he puts together all these crazy weapons and everything. And then uh, a sort of late entry on our favorites was the, quote, thug. I mean, I don't think he actually was. A lot of the people in the story thought that he was like a like a sort of a thug or like a henchman of some kind gangster. Yeah, thank you. I don't know why I couldn't come up with the word gangster idiot. They only said it a hundred times, but he really, uh, I took a shine to him. He has like scars on his face. You'll know who that is if you start watching it, but just keep an eye on those characters. Cause we think you really like them. And then of course, like the main character, Hyun Su, uh, he don't want to do too many spoilers about what happens with him, but he's, extremely important to the plot and um he, he grows on you he's kind of a, like a nub early on but he's very interesting yeah he's a slow burn yeah as you see like his backstory and you see all these people's backstories and get information about them but yeah his backstory like is i don't know like they develop it and you're like oh okay you know that's there's some sadness going on there and like yeah i and, would agree he you- by the end of the by the end of the show when we were sitting on the couch i was like okay that, that person's probably maybe top five or top seven or exactly so. uh, and and there were a lot of female characters i liked yeah totally. there was a, there was a lot of female but like i didn't like them as much as like our bible katana bible wielding boy. bible boy yeah he yeah. was amazing i like i just enjoyed his character so much it was so interesting yep but like some of the the female drama I'm just like, oh, shut up. Yeah, but I do agree with you. Hyun Soo, I feel like he shined most for me in episodes 9 and 10, you know, whenever it was wrapping up the season. Mm -hmm. So starting now, I want to talk about a couple of specific moments, get your thoughts on them, and then I do have like one issue with the show, and I I will consider these spoilers. So now we can say whatever we want, and I'll timestamp 
Okay. You can fast, listeners, if you're going to watch the show, you can fast forward to after this. But we both agreed what was the, even though there were, you know, several sad, depressing moments, what was the worst one on the show? Oh, the worst one was when Katana Boy died. Yeah. Oh my God. That, and, oh my God, it's just some, and like with some of the other deaths in the show or like in any media, it seemed like a stupid, senseless death. Like Mm -hmm. when you get to that, if you're going to watch and you get to that point, or you, maybe you just don't want to watch, but like when they do the character building for him, you're specifically like, okay, you know, he's a Christian. He's got his Bible. That's kind of annoying. Don't want to be solicited. And then this, you know, stuff breaks out or, you know, basically the collapse of what's going on. And then he discover more about him and he becomes this just swordsman who's just so awesome and so skilled with a blade. And the way he dies, I'm just like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? And then there's like a crowd of people standing around. Like no one does anything. Like you're just watching things happen. That woman was just like stumbling and falling and blah, blah, blah. And it's Mm -hmm. like literally no, no, you would not respond like that. You would have so much adrenaline that I feel like you would be like with a fire under your ass running away from whatever the monster was. Like I just, I feel like if I was in that situation that I would have more control over my body and the movements that it's making. I just thought everything about that was so stupid and I'm, I'm so sad about it. She deserved to be chopped up. She deserved to be chopped up. And, and like almost, and and he just confessed his love too. After he dies, you find out that he confessed his love to the one, the the one girl. And she was the girl I liked the most. Mm -hmm. The bassist, the bassist. He confesses, he, he basically is like, you know, I like you. And she, you see her sobbing afterwards after she re- finds out he's dead. And it's just like, it's implied that she had feelings for him too. And it's just, oh my God, that was heart-wrenching. I Did was you like, tear up? No. I got a little chin quiver. I didn't tear up. And I was just like, <laughs> now God damn it. I saw you get close. Matter I fact, was I so got upset. Cl- Actually, the only reason, first of all, I... I shed tears all the time in various movies and TV shows, but uh, I, I didn't quite do it on this one, except when I looked at you, because I could tell you were on the verge, and that like almost set me off, because <laughs> I know when you're really sad about watching something because of what you said. You literally just said, oh, that's so sad. <laughs> <laughs> I know, you, that sounds callous, the way you just... Yeah, but trust me, it was not... It. She was very sad, but like... Honestly, as bad as him dying, I think equally what was like heartbreaking for me to see is this guy who was so legendary with a sword and and he claims, you know, that he's been doing it for over 30 years, even though he was only 31. And it's because he grabbed a knife at his first birthday ceremony, sort of a little joke with between him and that girl. But seeing his arm get chopped off with the katana in it, it's almost like he was already dead. I hated saying this, but when I saw that, I was like, he might as well be dead. That's part of his identity. I would disagree. Really? Because his right arm was bandaged because he was hurt. So he couldn't wield the katana properly anyway. And he was one arm wielding. And so I feel like, and I, I'd have to rewatch, but I think he's right handed. So he would have been fine. If he would have gotten out of there and other people would have stepped in and they would have wrapped his shoulder and did surgery, he could have... He could have still been viable and yeah. useful. He would just have to like be with a group of people. No, or, like, I, I, two I agree. People. I agree with that. I mean, it, it, plus it would have been like a really badass uh, one-armed swordsman kind of thing. But I don't know. There was there was something about that scene. I think it was the masterful way that it was shot that conveyed his despair for like seeing his arm. Plus, his his sword got cut in half too. And I I wrote him off as dead because I saw him write himself off as dead as cheesy as that sounds yeah. i don't know that was it's just a really powerful oh, moment it's, it's so funny because like lots of people die and terrible things happen and meanwhile this guy losing his arm for me was like the low point but the second most depressing thing for me at, at least for myself was whenever there is another monster that's discovered and uh now that we're in the spoiler section of course you either don't care or, or you've watched it already it's revealed that some monsters can control their monsterization, as they call it, and be non-hostile or non-aggressive toward regular humans. And there's one that's like, it looks like a big blob of bright green snot. And it's kind of like a caretaker of this little boy and keeps him safe and hides him whenever 
uh, bad people show up to the to the apartment complex and all this. And it lives and in the vents. It lives the vent in the vent. system. That's yep. specific. And they have this one conversation with another monster who shows up who is more malevolent, but he can control his mm-hmm. his powers and everything. And he is trying to convince the main character, Hun Su, that they they can't coexist, humans and monsters. And he kind of gets vindicated on the spot because they they see this green blob and the little boy is like he's like waving at it and the blob like makes a five fingered hand yeah, and waves like and it's it so waves. sweet and then they torch it to death and he's you know screaming and crying he's like no don't kill it he's my friend he saved me and they're like no it's a monster it has to die and you can see that it's 100% like benevolent and they're killing it you know and it's like dying in the vents burning to death cuz that's it seems like that's the only thing that might be able to permanently kill monsters is fire it was just, those two scenes were so depressing for me, which is hilarious. But. Yeah, I know. You see the monster, like, twice, and that's it. Yeah. And then they torch it, and you're like, shit. Yeah, because it, it looked shit, really man. cool. And again, and again it, I think it even helped out Hyun Su earlier, before you knew it was a separate monster. I talked about the Resident Evil 6 Chrysalis thing, and I swear yeah. that was the monster. But anyways, my, my last uh, thoughts in terms of moments... And also character related, I, I mentioned that there is a character who shows up who also is in control of his monsterization the same way that Hyun Su is. And the f- season finale was X-Men, which I loved. X-Men is a, you know, a very cherished uh, franchise or idea, I'll say. Always has been since my childhood. I, I grew up a Marvel baby and X-Men specifically was my favorite branch of Marvel, I'll say. And as I got older, I realized how incredibly important that show is. And I'm sure that it was, you know, in its in its early days, you know, decades ago. But the animated series specifically, like it's it's basically race relations. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like really powerful stuff, I think, and, and taught a lot of really good, important lessons uh, for for kids watching it at, at that age. You know, like me, whenever I was growing up, even though you might not understand the implications of everything. But, you know, w- what's so interesting is... This guy who shows up, he's Magneto. Just like straight, I, I saw him talking in some of his philosophy and some of the things he said. I said to Tara, I was like, well, that, that dude's Magneto. Because what's interesting about a character like Magneto is it's it's hard to objectively label him as evil or bad. Mm-hmm. He just, he and the Brotherhood of Mutants believe something different from Professor X and the X-Men. Where the X-Men and Professor X, they believe that humans and mutants can coexist peacefully. Magneto does not believe that. He believes that homo superior are superior to homo sapiens and that they either need to be eradicated or, you know, enslaved under homo superior. So that's basically what this guy, this guy's almost more of an apocalypse though, because he's like only the strongest survive and we're going to, we need to kill all humans. We have evolved and succeeded and we are now the next phase of the apex predators basically Mm -hmm. on this planet. But I loved that aspect of it so much. And the only thing, my only real issue with the show now is it did start taking a turn in the la- in the final few episodes of making humanity the antagonist. And what I mean by that is, you know, you're in the middle of this apocalyptic scenario and there's monsters taking over the world and killing everybody and everything. And then as usual, as I've seen in so many media before, the two that I really think of are the Dead Space franchise and video games, whereas the first one was like perfect, perfect survival horror, necromorphs all the way through. They started introducing humans as too many enemies in two. And then Dead Space 3, it was like, it's a shooting gallery. You're you're just shooting other people, which I just can't stand when media like this takes those turns. Walking Dead did, Dead did the same thing. That's why and, I stopped watching Walking Dead. And it's why I'll probably never watch it. It's not about zombies, and it hasn't been about zombies for a very long time. It's it's just silly. So The first two seasons of Walking Dead, I would say, are intriguing, and they're very much zomb- zombie survival. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then it takes a turn where then it goes into the the, uh, the politics of a village. And you don't see a zombie for episodes. And it's like... Yeah, right. It's like, holy shit. Can you just give me an actual zombie survival? Like, I just want to see a band of five people 
getting chased through wherever the hell boondocks by zombies. Like I just, I want something like that. I don't want to listen to, you know, Bill on his, you know, podium talking at people and saying, Oh, this is the new world order because you know, I'm taller than everybody else and I'm a man (laughs) or it's just like, Oh my God, just, just give me something interesting to watch. Please, please. We have too much political Min- rhetoric rhetoric going on and it's it, oh god yeah, I want to escape of that from that world. like I, I have that in the real world and I'm trying to escape that so yeah. can you give me something different yeah exactly I mean if if we wanted something hyper realistic you can just turn off yeah. the, the TV and, and live life but anyways uh, yeah that's that is something that I hope they sort of keep in check which so far they have but like you know those that gang of bandits based in criminals showed up and started causing all these problems and killing people. Yeah, and, I hated that. And the military is obviously a huge antagonistic presence in the show. So I, I have faith just because the show is so good and I think they're going to do a good job with it and I can't wait for, for more seasons. But anyways, um, the, Oh, well, by the way, the ending is a little confusing and, it's and an extremely, ambiguous ending. it's very open-ended. Yeah, and I, I feel like the way that they filmed it, they did that on purpose because they didn't know if it'd get picked up for a second season on Netflix. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the way they ended it, it could easily end as one season. And you can draw your own interpretation for whatever happens. Or they can take it and say, okay, we're going to continue on and make season two, and then they can explain the ending further if they want to. Actually, that's a really good point because I complain about that all the time with series just being milked and milked and and movies and whatnot Mm -hmm. like stranger things should have been one season i don't care what anybody says that was one of the coolest out of nowhere tv shows ever season one yep just leave it alone and and let that live this incredible legacy and let people wonder and be like oh god i wish we had more it's like nope this is it this is all you get and it's really cool and it's going to live that way I watched two. It was fine. I don't even know how many seasons are out now. I know there's three, maybe four. I'll probably never watch them. Yeah, I know initially I heard that it. the creators did not want to go past four seasons. They were ending it at four. They have the third season out, and I, it obviously got picked up for its fourth, fourth and final season, I think. But to your point of that wonderment and letting not letting it die, but ending it to the point where you know people can draw their own conclusions... I will circle back to how you introduced me to David Lynch. <laughs> and I love David Lynch because he does that in all of his media. Yeah. He doesn't answer every single, he probably brings up more mysteries and questions than he answers. Oh yeah. And that's the brilliance of, uh, I think film and TV is that like, okay, you're shown a glimpse of what this person had in their brain, but you can draw your own interpretations. Yeah. And I think that's a good imaginative, creative thought exercise for humans in general. Like, I think you should do stuff like that. It's a brain exercise. Yeah, you used a good word there, wonderment. And that's there's a lot of that uh, happen, like you mentioned, in David Lynch's stuff. And it's, it's, it's an artist using his craft to turn you into an artist in the sense that you conjure up and come up with ideas in your own head, which is a beautiful thing. Um, Twin Peaks was a fantastic example. And then I got you those books and... For anybody who's a Twin Peaks watcher, we're getting on a tangent, of course. Those two books apparently explain a lot of oh shit, actually, God. Tara told yeah. me. So I need to read those. But um, Sweet Home is amazing. We really um, enjoyed it. And and that's all I'm going to say. I think it's really cool. And you heard it here first, Craft Heads Podcast. Anyways, moving on to the... Movie Minute. The Movie Minute. So do you want time to time you. these? I'm going to time, okay, yeah, because we have to fun. keep it... Yeah, yeah, actually. We have to keep it on the street. Yeah, we're in narrow. the 40s here, mid 40s, so we'll. Uh, and I've got my stopwatch. We'll, we should be able to finish up by, in, by about an hour. Ready? The first one. So we watched a shit movie called The Titan. Uh, I'm only going to talk about like maybe one or two actor in each one, like the most uh, well known. This was a 2018 movie. It was relatively short, meaning within. An hour and 40 minutes, I'll say. Anything longer, I'll say, is long. Uh, This was Sam Worthington. Rotten Tomatoes. Critics, I wrote all these down, 18. Audience, 15. Deserving of both, one or the other. What do you think? Those ratings. Oh, I would say, yeah. I thought you were just going to go and do your thing for a minute. Oh, yeah, terrible. Yeah, you and I are spending one minute collectively. 
trash movie, interesting premise. In very interesting premise. When you talk about character development, none. There's no character development, and it was not good. Last one, ready? Skip or watch? Skip. Got it. Uh, session nine, which was a wonderful treat. This was a 2001 movie I'd never even heard of. Uh, on the shorter side, and David Caruso was one of the main guys. He's the the redhead uh, from CSI Miami, so you guys will know that. Um, critics 64, audience 63. I love seeing even splits because then you know it's usually a pretty reliable rating right in that area. Yeah. Um, this was one of those movies about sort of like... Me- I don't want to say mental health, like an aware, like mental disorders and really screws with your head as you're watching it. A great thriller. Yeah. And I will say, I think, I feel like there's a theme of character development, great character development. Mm-hmm. It's a, it, I don't want to say it's not a slow burn. It is an evenly paced burn and very intriguing. And like good, you learn a lot about good each, ending too. Yeah. Great ending. Skip or watch. Watch. I agree. That's a watch. Dark skies. So this was a 2013 movie, uh, relatively short, and the ratings were 41 critics, 49 audience. It's uh, like a, an extraterrestrial movie. It's kind of kind of a ripoff of Signs minus the cornfields. Instead yeah. of being stranded in a farmhouse, they're like in a you know just a regular residential neighborhood a bunch of crazy shit's happening to their house they do show the aliens at times and they're kind of terrifying which i was yeah. a big fan of and i would say um signs but with um in the onset or like the the beginning it's more supernatural almost like a ghost is there doing something mm-hmm. and they don't really show it and then they they end up showing them at the end and like it's what you expect but yeah okay if you are Listening to what I'm saying, if you are not desperate for alien uh, visitors from another world, fair. Skip or watch? Skip. I would say skip also. That was that was a loaded question. Um, we watched another one called The English Translation. I think it's like Nobody Sleeps in the Woods at Night, something like that. I mm-hmm. believe it's a Polish film. 2020. It's on the longer side. Ratings were 67 critics, 36 audience. That felt pretty accurate to me. It's something that I could see critics giving a little bit more praise, but it was a fun watch. Um, If you are in need of campy, well, literally campy camp, go to camp with, you know, monsters and stuff in the woods, killing people, extreme gore, that one girl getting a pole through her head, even though she was right next to somebody. Yeah. The guy. Okay. Yeah. That's... Just leave it at that. Let's All right. Not, we won't spoil yeah, it. Yeah. We won't spoil it. But, um, if you want some gore in the woods and you don't mind watching foreign films, I personally love foreign films. I'll ask you, Tara. I'm not going to say anything. Skip or watch. I'd watch. Okay. I I'd like say, it. I'd say watch with that one. I like it. Okay. Good Halloween so, film. Yeah. So, now, when we were visiting our, uh, specifically my side of the family, you know, we were we were quarantining out of caution in deference to other members of the family, and we watched a shit ton of Netflix with with my dad and stepmom, and the fir- we like watched them in phases uh, at the nights that we were at their house. The first night we watched, we had a Jake Gyllenhaal marathon, aka two movies. The first one is Nightcrawler. I'm sure everybody's heard of it. 2014, definitely on the longer side. This is um, Jake Gyllenhaal, Rene Russo, and uh, Bill Paxton, RIP. Fantastic actor. This one's rated 95 critics, 85 audience. I would give that movie like five stars. I absolutely loved Nightcrawler. I always knew it was highly rated. I didn't necessarily even know exactly what it was about. I watched a trailer that's not a great example of of what it's about. Uh, The one that shows up on Netflix, he's riding around a bike in a pond shop. Yeah, that gives you no information. All I'm going to say, this one I will give advice, especially because it's a movie recommendation, not a TV show recommendation. Watch Nightcrawler. Yeah, I would agree. Just like across the board. That movie was amazing. Then we chased it with Velvet Buzzsaw. Uh, uh, obviously, Jake Gyllenhaal, John Malkovich was in it, a couple of other actors and act- well, actors that I recognized. But uh, this is a 2019 movie, pretty recent, and also on the longer side. These ratings surprised me. 
61 critics, 35 audience. I loved Velvet Buzzsaw. If I enjoyed it, yeah. If I'm trying to get objective from a film standpoint, Nightcrawler is a better movie, mm-hmm. but Velvet Buzzsaw was more fun to watch. It was more entertaining. For, for me, me, definitely. I There were a lot of elements of Nightcrawler that freaked me out and I hated very much. Oh my God. And then, like, I would say Velvet Buzzsaw, it gives you more of like, I don't want to say campy. Yes. Oh, it was campy. But, uh, yeah, yeah. It's got that campy element. So that's another fun, you know, if you're ever looking for that. Instant cult classic, in my humble opinion. I give that one also an, an immediate watch rating. Yeah. As opposed to skip. And and you mentioned there were aspects of Nightcrawler that you hated. I didn't know how talented Jake Gyllenhaal was as an actor until seeing Nightcrawler. Yeah. His character. Oh, he's freaky. Is just so good. So anyways, that's those two. Uh, the next night, we moved on to... Oh. I, I screwed up. So I will watch anything, even if it's really fucked up. And I love Eli Roth. I I got t- turned on to him with the Hostel movies back in the day. And, of course, he's the bear Jew in Inglorious Bastards, which is amazing. He's directed, you know, lots of other movies, m- many of which I still have to see. But in general... He, he does shocking, you know, messed up stuff in his movies. So I'll watch anything. And uh, Knock Knock, I was more intrigued with it because Keanu Reeves stars in it. And it was categorized as like a steamy thriller. And I had read that it was basically like male rape and torture and stuff. But I, I couldn't help it. I was like, I got to see this movie. I want to see what it's all about. And I even thought to myself... Keanu Reeves probably won't put himself into too compromising of a movie, and I was completely mistaken. We made it like halfway through. I was on the couch, and I stood up, and I said, I'm not watching this shit. (laughs) And I went to the bathroom, and I come out, and Alex had turned it off. And we're we're watching with his parents, and I'm just like, oh. We're going a little bit over on time on this one, but I I have to. I. I actually made the decision to pull the plug when Tara left and like, I feel like my dad almost didn't want to chicken out even though he probably wanted to die. Cause I can remember when the, the movie, the first he probably Borat, wanted to die when the images of the two girls heads going down. And, right. Right. Yeah, right, right yeah. yeah, exactly. And that was early. Just but God, I remember when the first Borat movie came out, I watched that with one of my very good friends and, uh, and, and my dad was there and like, you know, he, my dad was appalled cause we were much younger and it was Azamat and Borat naked, you know, wrestling. So it was like super homoerotic and generally disgusting, but also hilarious. You know, this big fat hairy slob rolling around with uh, with Borat. But that's because it's so funny. It was okay. This was just so bad, fucked. And um, it also stars. Uh, Lorenza Izzo, I believe is her name, who actually was married to Eli Roth from 2014 to 2019. She's also Francesca, the Italian wife that Leonardo Dica- uh, DiCaprio marries in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Same same woman. Oh, yes. wow. Yeah, yeah. They did it, she did a good job. With yeah, she, she was great in that. Changing but, her personality. Uh, the, I don't know if I mentioned this earlier. This is a 2015 movie, uh, definitely on the longer side. Pretty, f- that I liked the ending. Um, it was not what I expected at all. Then again, now I look in hindsight with Eli Roth and like, yes, it was critics, 36 audience, 20, unless you want to see like the, the weird sexual perverse nature of Eli Roth's mind, I would say skip, skip a hundred percent. That's a hard skip from Tara. So that was a longer one. Um, the apostle we moved on to 2018, definitely on the longer side. I think it was over two hours. Um, Dan Stevens is the main character. He played Matthew Crawley on Downton Abbey. One day might have to get teed to hopefully watch that show. The show's amazing. Um, 78 critics, 54 audience. Overall, I would say watch. If you're into the, the witch hunt stuff, the colonial times, you know, a couple hundred years ago, primitive people all, you know, pointing fingers at each other. It's also like like a secret cult on an island mm-hmm. run by this you know prophet and all this stuff. It, it's a long watch, but if you're into that stuff, I will say without any spoilers, there is a, a very unusual aspect of that movie with that one 
mm-hmm. uh, I'll I'll look at Tara and say quotes character that yes. is in the movie. So um, hundred percent watch watch with subtitles because I mm, think yeah. there are some English accents in in some of the wording gets lost, especially on my ears. So seeing just like it the witch. helps. Yeah, just like the witch, it helps to see like exactly what they're saying. Watch the witch, amazing movie subtitles, uh, and then Fear City. A mini docu series, I think that's three the episodes combination of words. Three episodes, they're like about an hour long each. So you're talking mm-hmm. about a commitment of three hours. But this was how the FBI brought down the New York mob uh, after the advent of the RICO statutes um, in the late seventies, in the seventies yeah. and eighties. I'll just say generally, um, really fascinating stuff. Uh, and they have ratings for this too, 68 critics, 64 audience. I was actually expecting higher in the sense that I think, I want to say the average person interested in this stuff might have liked it a little bit more than I did. I did like it. I didn't actually love it. There were, they did a fair bit of repetition, especially like once you went to episode two from episode one, they spent the first couple minutes basically rehashing everything they talked about. It's like, okay, I get it. I'm not an idiot. Like don't cater to stupid people. I was watching. I was not on my phone. I was paying attention. Move on. Um, I would agree. Yeah. And, and the other thing I actually have, this is going to sound really weird. I have a lot of mixed feelings about some of the things that were done. Oh, for sure. Actually, they're not, sure. they're not even that mixed. Like, listen, I understand that the Italian mafia was a very, very serious problem, more so than I understood prior to watching it. Like, them being involved in every major concrete project that was two-plus million dollars in New York City, like, literally every single building going up, that is a huge problem. But, like, the the surveillance techniques and wiretapping and, and home invasions and stuff that they did, like... To me, you're no better than the criminal then. Like Yeah, it, you're not. You're I, the same. And and there are there are a lot of things, same thing in Sopranos, that I'm just like, how is this legal? I mean, this is surveillance. And like I'm this is a whole nother convers a whole an entire other conversation. We'll get to it like, in the Sopranos episode. Yeah, I'm I'm a liberty over safety guy. So I don't know. It's really I think it's I would still call it a must watch for all the reasons I just listed. Like it's I think it'd be cool for people to watch and come to their own conclusions. Was it worth it? You know, and like basically eroding those those liberties of those individuals, or do you think it was do you think it was uh, done properly that you know they got the warrants and they provided enough evidence to to get more evidence, which is kind of circular to me. But I don't know. Really interesting, and if nothing else, uh, the way these people made a living during that time, and I, and I mean a killer living. Mm-hmm. It's it's ingenious. I mean, that's yeah. you have to give them credit for that because usually we say criminals are stupid and these guys were not stupid like no. at all. Um three more movies. Midnight Sky. So this was this just came out, 2020, longer movie, George Clooney directed and starred in it. Critics 52, audience 26. Out of all the people we watched it with, we watched it with my parents and we watched it again with Tara's mom. Everybody, I feel like, at most, liked it, and maybe even didn't like it. I thought it was cool. I had a really cool twist at the end. I, I loved it. I'm not saying I didn't. I liked the movie. You liked it, yeah. It was a slow burn. It was slow. And I thought that, because it's, what, two hours? Mm-hmm. They could have chopped a half an hour or at least 20 minutes off of that, in the movie still would have been the same and had the same impact. I think, I think there are, are, there are things in there that don't add to the story or the plot in any way, shape or form. And I thought, can I have a, 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 like a half an hour of my life back? I'm watching like a senseless scene. I, so I do tend to agree with Tara there. I think it was maybe unnecessarily long, but not egregiously. So to the point where I was like irritated, which that happens pretty easily for me when I watch movies. So, I would, my personal thing is I would call it a watch. Uh, I also am fully disclosing that I am biased because I love space dramas. I, they're like oh, one of my favorite genres. I like space drama as well. It just was a little long for me. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, the Titan is kind of a space drama and it was absolutely terrible. So what are yeah, you going to do? <laughs> yeah, that was, that was horrible. Um, I downloaded a movie 
that Tara was completely disinterested in called One BR, as in like one bedroom. I downloaded it and watched it on the plane on the way back to Atlanta. 2019, short, shorter movie. Critics 87, uh, audience 53. I think the audience is pretty spot on. I think it's I think 87 is high for that movie, but basically a girl moves into uh, like a, an apartment complex in Los Angeles trying to make it, start her life over, and the place is not what it seems. And I think that it is a, if you're into that kind of mystery thriller um, genre, and I think because it's so short, it's worth a watch if if that kind of movie is your cup of tea. Uh, and it had a pretty interesting ending. So I kind of like that. And then it ended a little bit abruptly, but that's okay. Uh, I know, I'm sure Tara would say skip on that one. It was, yeah. It was, and she she was like kind of watching over my shoulder with subtitles like and glance. didn't have volume. But yeah. yeah, there were some pretty shocking moments. But uh, yeah, if, if you like, if you have a, you want to just do a quick watch on like a, a mystery thriller with maybe even a little bit of horror mixed in, it, I'm on the fence on that one. I'll, I'll just say that. And then the last one I have here, I just watched this yesterday. Green Inferno. So I was talking to a coworker of mine about watching Knock Knock with my parents. And I was like, hi, I should have known better. He was like, uh, yeah, no watching the Eli Roth uh, movies with your family. And then he said Green Inferno would have been 10 times worse. And I was like, okay, I have to watch this now because that's the way I am. And I've actually had it on my watch list for a long time on Netflix, just hadn't gotten around to it. Also stars um, that Lorenza Izzo, and it was uh, extremely fucked. So this was a 2005, or I'm sorry, 2015 movie. It w- it's definitely on the longer side. And not unlike Knock Knock, critics rating 38, audience 29. I w- critics for sure sounds about right. I was expecting a little bit higher in the audience in the sense that if you, you have to know what you're getting with Eli Roth at this point. And I feel like people who watch his movies are inclined toward his insanity and messed up mind. So if you're not, why are you watching it? That's why I may, I think the audience deserves a little higher. I know this is a hard skip from Tara. Oh, it's horrible. Extremely violent and graphic. Um, there was actually a little bit of a side penis, which is hilarious. Uh, you know, if there's side boob in movies, leave it to Eli Roth for side penis. Uh, but I would say if you like Eli Roth, you can take a look for sure. But disgusting. That's the, (laughs) that's the end of our movie minutes with a bonus. There was another one in here that we watched and this is dumb because I feel like more people than not have seen this, but amazingly I had not seen this movie. Do you remember a comedy that we watched that as much as I love this actor, little Nikki, little Nikki. We watched Little Nicky, which came out in 2000. Short movie, obviously. Shut up, Tithead. I never knew that was from that movie because I'd heard people say Tithead before. Um, 22 critics, makes sense. 55 audience. I think that's spot on because I think it's one of Adam Sandler's weaker movies. But if you love specifically Happy Gilmore, Billy Madison, and Waterboy, the Holy Trinity, even though I think... Billy Madison is a tad overrated. I think Mr. Deeds is better. Um, you'll like Little Nicky. You should check it out. It's fun. Yeah, it's like, fun. Like campy fun. The thing that blew me away was the cast. Like Harvey Keitel is the devil. He has, he has his usual um, Happy Madison Productions gang with him, like Peter Dante and a couple of those other guys. Uh, yeah, Ozzy Osbourne was in it. The best part, the, my two favorite characters that were in it, Chubbs Peterson, a.k.a. Carl Weathers, makes an appearance as Chubbs in Little Nicky, you know, from Happy Gilmore. So I, I thought that was amazing. And um, Quentin Tarantino is a raving lunatic preacher in the movie who shows he's up blind. at multiple... Yeah, blind. He shows up at multiple points in the movie and he's hilarious. So <sighs> I'm all talked out. Yeah. I'm glad I have this uh, fantastic water beverage here next to me. But yeah. We hope you guys enjoyed. There were like three big segments, of course, with Lost in the Wilds Brewing. Shout out to Jared and Mallory again. We wish the best for you guys, and we hope to see you again in 2021. Um, Then, of course, a sweet home in the middle and our movie minute at the end there. So we hope you guys enjoyed. 
thank you, Tara, for holding down the fort while Tommy's with his family so we could get a little bit more content for our listeners. And it goes without saying, I know 2020 has been a very difficult year for a lot of us. Um, It's been tragic for some. It's been annoying for some. It's been kind of neutral for others. Uh, We just hope the best for, especially for the people who had a really, really difficult 2020. Uh, The bar has been set very low. I'm confident we'll have a better 2021. I hope that is the case for all of us. Cheers and Happy New Year. We'll see you in 2021. Happy New Year. Thank you.